and welcome to Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, covering political and social issues one liberty at a time, with entertaining insights of current events and important discussions on topics that affect us all, shining the torch of liberty and brightening the future by bringing libertarianism into our everyday life. And now, your host, the friendly neighborhood libertarian, Jason Lyon, Mr. America, The Bearded Truth on Muddied Waters Media. Hello, everybody. Oh, my word. I'm so excited. The last time I got to see you guys was in January, I think it was. Uh, it's been a minute. As you can see, I don't have everything up and ready to go as I normally do. Uh, I apologize for that. But nonetheless, here we are. I'm so excited for this. I hope you guys are excited for this as well. We are running a new way of bringing you guys the beard. Uh, so, had a little bit of a schedule change in the life come about, and that meant that we had to be flexible here. Got through the training phase, and now Fridays, 2 p.m. Eastern, you get more of that sweet, sweet, muddied content. So, Fridays, 2 p.m. Eastern, freedom time. You guys will be seeing me, whether we are live or if... We have guests that aren't quite able to make that that Friday afternoon sweet spot. Uh, we will be running recorded shows, but nonetheless, every Friday you'll be able to see me here. Today, I've got an amazing guy, amazing kid, uh, Andy Kennedy. We're going to be having a great discussion talking about the conservation of should it be centralized in the way of governments or should it be privatized and kind of talk about some of the some of the pitfalls and everything there. So I'm excited for this. I hope you guys are are, are as well. But before we get into that conversation, of course, I've got to give some shout outs, some thank yous and some I love yous. Um, so first of all, I love each and every one of you guys for hopping in here and hanging out with us here on this Muddy Waters Media production. Thank you guys all for your love, your support, your comments, your feedback, your uh, liking of each other's comments, for subscribing on all of your favorite platforms, whether that's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Float wherever however you're getting this live stream i appreciate you if you're checking us out after the fact on your podcast taking us on the go thank you for that as well make sure you guys give us those five star reviews to help spread the word spread the muddy content um and thank you thank you so much to matt and spike for continuing to give me a platform to come out here to talk with my guests about everything and anything under the sun give you my views my opinions my stances on things as they come about and of course thank you to my guest today andy kennedy for joining me and to help pay the bills let's give a big quick thank you to kelsey lion designs if you are a candidate if you are a business owner if you've got that hobby that you want to take up and just soar to new heights with you gotta reach out to my girl kelsey lion KelseyLionDesigns.com. She'll give you logo, branding, business cards, publications. She is blowing up right now in, in so many different markets because she's taking everyday markets and she's renovating, she's innovating, and she is changing the way that people look at these markets. And it's all through her design. So make sure that if you guys are looking for that next level uh, design brand logo, get on over there to KelseyLionDesigns.com. If you guys are looking to get some knowledge, if you guys are looking to get some nugs, you guys got to head on over to nugofknowledge.com. Use the code Mr. Beard of Truth. You're going to be able to get some some good things, some great things, some a uh, little bit of knowledge, a little bit of wisdom, because we all know when we slow down in life, it seems to 
that knowledge seems to hit a little better. So get on over there, help support the cause, help out my good friend, Dan Berman, and get on over there to nugofknowledge.com. Use the code Mr. Beard of Truth. You get 10% off. What better way of getting a little knowledge than that? Uh, we are not legally allowed to talk about the products there, but <clears throat> trust me, you'll be green and you'll be happy. Uh, theroyalgreen.com. For those of you guys looking to support libertarianism, those of you looking at society as it starts to crumble, head on over there to theroyalgreen.com. Uh, help out my man, Jack Casey. Buy these books. We don't know how good they are. We don't know how bad they are. <clears throat> we refuse to read them on principle. But <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you should join us in that effort. Sometimes it's okay to stray away from us. So head on over to royalgreen.com uh, and support my man Jack Casey as they as he continues to pump out more and more content. But now, without further ado, <coughs> I get to cough some more. Without further ado, I've got my man the wonderful guest of today, Andy Kennedy elected this last year there in New Mexico. Uh, actually a supervisor. I, I, I don't want to butcher the title, but a supervisor in, in the soil and water conservation. Correct. Yes. Boom. Specifically it. the central Valley central or the central Valley soil and water conservation board. There we go. Which is, <clears throat> which is down here in Southeast New Mexico. It's basically just Northern Eddy County, which for anybody not familiar with their New Mexico geography, that's kind of between Roswell and Carlsbad. All right. Perfect. So I've got you on today. Um, I first want to, I think you're one of the first zoomers out there in the world to get elected. Uh, Gen Z coming up, you were born 98. You're making me feel old. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are like, man, this is just, you know, kicking us in the ass. <laughs> I want to I want to first start off with how did you do it what was the big success there and then we can we can get into today's conversation after. So where where we had a lot of success is we didn't run a paper ballot candidacy which I mean I'm not knocking anybody out there who does that. I mean running a paper ballot or paper ballot candidacy is better than not running one at all. But you know unfortunately what a lot of times we end up doing is we do that and we think that you know well, if you set up a social media presence and you might go put out a sign here or there, then then you might actually try to beat the duopoly at their own game. And that's just not going to happen. They have the time, the volunteers and the, and the funds to really, you know, try to brush you aside if you don't give them a good run for their money. And so what we did is um, we actually, I believe we spent less than 12 cents per vote when I ran the math on how much money we spent to what our vote count total was holy shit. but what we did was we went we printed out door hangers in which i actually have one here in my desk somewhere if somebody wants to see how simple these really are you know it's just has my face and position i was running for on it wow and then just a short description of me on the back and then of course my spike cone endorsement on the bottom but we printed out a whole bunch of those and just went all around Artesia and just put those on basically everybody's door that didn't answer the door. And we knocked on them. If people did answer the door, I'd sit there, I'd talk to them and say, you know, introduce myself to them, why I'm running, what I was all about, my experience in both agribusiness and the oil field and why that would make me a good fit for that candidate or for that spot on the board. And, uh, you know, I'd hand people either my business cards or one of those flyers if they wanted one after I talked to them. And, me and my campaign manager, we pretty much walked 
all over a town of about 10,000 people by ourselves and pretty much hit up every single door we possibly could. Wow. So I'm, I'm still just shocked. 12 cents a vote. That is for my elections here. If you didn't spend a dollar on your votes, you didn't try at all. You spent 12% of that. And right. And which, what we're, what we're originally uh, budgeting on was somewhere in the neighborhood of about five to $8 a vote. And, uh, but the thing is we were counting on a lot lower voter turnout. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was a combination of both us going out there and doing a lot of outreach and really talking to people that kicked up the, uh, the voter turnout. And then plus two, there, there were also some pretty big school board elections going on at the same time. So I think that drew a lot of people out as well. But from the last time that there was an election for this board, I believe there was around 600 people in total voted for the candidates running. Yeah. And this time there was over 1,600 people voted in it. So so not only are you not spending much per vote, but you're also drawing the people in. I mean, nobody can argue with these these stats to say that Liberty's not moving forward. Um, that's incredible, man. That's in- absolutely incredible. I want to... <laughs> I, I'm so excited for today's converse- conversation on, on conservation, and I know that's right up in your wheelhouse of, of things that you're talking about. Um, your position as as elected uh, as elected taker of the taxpayer money. Of course, we were talking a little bit in the pre show. Like it's not too much. It's not it's not too too painful. Um, on the on the dole of others, but um, but you've you've come in there and and from this from that position of why you got elected and of, I think is one of the reasons why people trusted you to come in there that you're going to be good on the conservation efforts there in, in New Mexico or in your central Valley. Was that correct? Yes. It's central Valley. Um, which, which like I said, you know, just Southeast New Mexico. So, yeah. So, so you're going to be good on that, but of course there's a lot more to the country than that. And, and so we could talk about, you know, the forestry, we could talk about like a lot of things beyond, um, you know, California's, certainly something that comes up every year. Alaska is something that's ignored. That's much more massive being a former Alaskan seeing Eskimo libertarian in the chat. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about Alaska and the forestry and the conservation there, but the oil, the water, I mean, there's just so many things here that we can, we can discuss. And so, um, I want to know what, what drew you into this being an interest of yours. And then, um, we can, we can dive into the actual privatization versus, um, common uh, municipalities and, and everything else having control over them. So conservation kind of got to be one of my, my big key points that, that I like to focus on in my advocacy for Liberty, because I come from a background of multiple generations of farmers and ranchers, multiple generations of oil field people. Uh, pretty much all of us grew up hunting and fishing. It's just kind of a way of life for us. And so you know, sitting there over the years watching how all these government regulations really didn't accomplish anything, and all they're doing is serving to make people's you know jobs and lives harder for no apparent reason. That that's kind of what got me into it, since it it's um, you know my my personal line of work and, and interest and everything like that for a hobby and whatnot. So, 
I like it. I like it. Um, I I have a question before uh before we dive in a little bit further into this uh, from Eskimo. Actually, it's funny I mentioned her and then she asked a question. How much do you have to battle against federal management with conservation? Because that's a it's a big issue for Alaska for sure. But uh, do you guys have that struggle there in New Mexico as well? Yeah, particularly in southern New Mexico, we have a lot of land that's owned by the Bureau of Land Management, which. If anybody doesn't know very much about them, if you're from the East Coast or whatever, they're a subsidiary of the Department of, In- of Interior, and um, they they can sometimes be a pain in certain things. And then we also have the state land office, which there's a few different entities amongst them that own land, but you know it, it's all run by the state of New Mexico. Um, OCD is what we call them. They're, they're the Oil Conservation Department is who calls a lot of shots on that. But then you also have some, uh, they're basically rangeland officers or grassland officers that, that have some oversight there, as well as the uh, livestock boards. So, and then, then my soil and water conservation board does get drug into stuff, both on BLM and state lands. Um, typically, there's not a whole lot that we really jump in and do on people's private property. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that pretty well gets left alone. It's just more to do with either navigable waterways um and then like i said any lands are owned by the state or the feds around here which in my area we don't have any forestry service lands so i like it um question another follow-up question uh just because she's she's loving your your input and certainly this is on note for her uh does this include the federal uh subsistence board or subsistence board there we go i can't speak today um do, do you guys have any involvement there or not that I've run across yet. Um, I I could go dig back through a bunch of older meeting documents from before I got elected to the mm-hmm. board and probably mm-hmm. figure that out. Um, but so far since I've been on here and since I've been attending meetings before I got elected, we haven't run into them anywhere. Okay, good. Um, so I want to dive into the topic at hand, of course, and that is the idea of privatization and control from whether it's federal or local um kind of this implies that that we as libertarians we kind of see issue with the way that things have been run um in the past and and so um kind of want to start off with highlighting with there in new mexico of anything that's going on um maybe within your current district or as you are running for state house i believe uh, um anything going on at your state level that you want to talk about and then we can we can jump into the national um as well after that yeah one of the big things that i'm actually highlighting in my state house campaign is i want to set up i guess you basically call my like civilian conservation boards somewhat not unlike a school board or the soil and water conservation boards but that are set up to have oversight over each local Fish and Game Department office, i.e. Our, our local game wardens, because as it sits right now, the head of the Fish and Game Department is appointed by whoever the governor is at the time. There's basically no elected positions whatsoever in the Fish and Game Department, and so they're really not, you're, they're really not able to be held accountable for what they do, so they do all kinds of ridiculous stuff, um, like there's one of the deer hunting units not too far from where I live a few years ago they flew a plane over and they surveyed that there were they decided that there's 1500 mule deer bucks in the unit so they came back and they issued zero doe tags and they issued 1500 buck tags now (laughs) granted 
the likelihood of all 1500 of those tags getting punched very very low in that unit i think they generally have about a 35 to 40 percent hunt success rate but still that that was a, a clear just cash grab for them because the main way that they make money is selling licenses and tags yeah and so that was very clearly a cash grab for them that was uh potentially very short-sighted had things turned out differently and a lot more people had had been on the mark with their shots that week because which that's one thing i hear is like our um our deer seasons are only a week long so wow wow it must just be everyone load up your trucks you got you got the gun rack in the back window just uh, everyone hauling ass down there just for a week that's amazing yeah yeah, and the bad thing is, uh, I remember if it was last year or the year before last, but one of the two, they cut the pronghorn antelope seasons back to where if you draw a pronghorn tag on public lands, you have three days to use it. I'm that just sounds like so. Of course, these things always cost money, right? So they're right. just like you have such a limited time. Hopefully, nothing goes wrong, but we're gonna just keep the money either way. Um, you'd spoken about something in this, uh, of of everything being basically hand selected by the governor. Um, and of course this is something that we see across many States. There's so many different boards there's so many different, uh, councils and everything else. And so many of these things fall back to your governor. And, and of course this allows for an opportunity for some serious nepotism, not always guaranteed, but this does allow for that. And as we, um, as we see that it gives us even less power, but this speaks to the nature of, of the issue at hand that, doesn't mean that these are the best people to control. And as you're discussing with, you know, we found 1500 bucks, so we're going to get 1500 tickets. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully not all of them get punched because we're shorthand or short-sighted and stupid, but you know, et cetera. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I, I'm scared to ask what else could be possibly be going on over there in New Mexico. <laughs> because I, I feel like you might not be um i feel like there there's the the potential here it, maybe not just in new mexico but across the nation we could probably have i might have a thunderstorm uh we potentially could be here for days talking about the stupidity and the atrocities that that these different boards and committees have have done just through either the the cash grab method, through the nepotism of 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 ignorance and just being selected and everything else, um, if you have more on the deer the the deer and hunting season of a week and then three days for what was what was the three day one? I'm I'm sorry. Uh, three days for pronghorn antelope. Pronghorn antelope. Ah, so I I'm, I'm sadly not a big hunter. But I do have one question for that. So for three days, so does that mean that if you take out pronghorn on, on day three, that you have to be able to leave on that? If you're caught day four, then it would be it would be wrong um, that you'd be susceptible to to fines, punishments, or whatever. Or does that mean that as long as you kill it within those three days, you you'll you'll be fine? No, it, it's just as long as like if you're issued a tag for any animal. As long as you actually harvest that animal in that time frame, then you're fine. Okay. Like if hypothetically, you know, let, let's say you drew out a pronghorn tag and generally the seasons are in 
late August for, for gun season. So let's just say your tag is issued for August 20th, 21st, and 22nd. As long as you kill your pronghorn in those three days, you're fine. But if like hypothetically on the 23rd and 25th, you want to stay a few more days and just camp or you want to scout for deer or whatever, if you happen to draw a deer tag as well. If you're just out there on, on, BLM, on Bureau of Land Management or uh, state lands, that's fine. It's just as, as long as you're not actually shooting those animals that, that they issued those tags for. Okay. So they, okay. All right. That makes sense now. All right. I just want to make sure that I was clear and I'm sure that there's somebody in the audience that's not not up to speed on that as well so yeah yeah which i mean out here like your your state lands and your your bureau of land management stuff that's pretty much open to public access year round pretty much as long as you're not hunting out there the only rules are you just can't drive a vehicle off of the designated roads on it and that's it Hmm. see i don't i don't like roads i I would be i'd be violating that all the time (laughs) Uh, i typically ride across them on horseback myself most of the time but that's just me yeah (laughs) They don't have a problem with that though, right? It's just it's just merely vehicles that can't go off road. Yeah, I mean, so you you can hike anywhere on the lands, and you can ride on horseback anywhere on the lands. It's just you can't you can't just like drive and drive a four wheeler or a pickup just across the government lands. Unrelated question: Have you ever met Matt Hicks from South Carolina? No, I haven't. Okay, I I have an epic picture, and anyone uh, who's been a, a longtime fan of Muddy Waters Media would love this. I want a picture of you and Matt Hicks both riding either. I think it'd be hilarious to have you both on the same horse, but nonetheless having two different horses and like a, a heroic and and just posed beautifully with like a nice sunset coming across and you guys like trotting off like a broke back mountain too. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic. Um, I would highly encourage you reach out through your circles, find out who Matt Hicks is and get involved with him. He's a fantastic individual. He's an old salty veteran. Uh, he's a, a paid uh, sponsor for the Tuesday shows with, with Spike and Matt, but um, gravy. Kid. Yeah. I, I've run across him on social media a few times and I know some people who know him, Yeah, but uh, I mean, he, he and I haven't had a ton of interaction with each other and we haven't met in person yet. All right, I I gotta see if you both are going to Reno because that would be fantastic to see you two together. Yeah, I want a picture. Yeah, I'll I'll be in Reno. I'm a I'm actually a delegate for New Mexico. So perfect. I'm going to. Oh yeah, yours isn't traveling, so it's like it's right across the street for you, uh, almost. Um. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a, if you drive from here to Reno, it's almost 24 hours. So really, okay. See, yeah. I suck at geography. I I probably shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> um granted mine's gonna be like 76 hours or something some crazy um i'm actually gonna look that up yeah i think it's some somewhere around 24 hours it might be 23 or 25 but it's somewhere in that neighborhood i was actually thinking uh about flying out of the um big hobbs air uh air center and tire repair shop basically our little podunk airport that we've got, that's the closest thing we have. Mm. But uh, pretty much have to fly either to Houston or to Denver and then wherever you're going. Yeah, I, I've I've struggled with that in the past. Thankfully here, I've got an airport within the same city I live in. So I'm, I'm finally gotten past that. But no, the, the struggles of, of having to take a small hopper to, to a big city. And at the, the only perk that I would say to that is that you don't have to worry about security all that much when you take the the small little podunk places. That's the best part. Precisely. I I remember um, 
we took one and i showed up when they were boarding for the plane and uh while while they were boarding i was able to get through security run all the way down to the gate and still be there by the time they were boarding up their second group sometimes getting those those smaller um airports is definitely a huge perk um I realize we're we're jumping way away from this. So conservation efforts. <laughs> so we understand that boards aren't necessarily the best um, because of how they're selected. So this is this is a huge impact. One of the issues that a lot of people will, when when you hear about conservation efforts, they think about the forestries. They think about forest fires every was that July and August. Um, they think about all the f- the millions of people that are destroyed. Um, if you could enlighten us as to kind of the background of of how the conservation efforts have have been, um, any history with that, and then kind of how a private um, enterprise would be able to to better um, handle and and mitigate damages and everything else. Yeah, so touch on forestry and, and as far as how the government has run conservation on that, as you kind of touched on, we see all across the western U.S. every year forests burning down. I mean, we have it here in New Mexico. We we see it in Colorado, even up in Wyoming and Montana. And, and of course, like you said, California. California just happens to get a lot more airtime on TV because a lot more people live there. And which, you know, unfortunately means that more more property does get damaged and more people are put in harm's way. But, you know, it, it's a persistent problem all across the Western U.S. And a lot of it is just out of pure neglect of these forests not being managed. Because you either have two ways that this can go. Either we can manage the forests and remove deadfalls, remove dying trees, things like that. Or nature is going to take its course and get rid of it. And nature's form of getting rid of it is a massive brush fire. Yep. So, you know, if you took it in the sense of a private enterprise was responsible, whether you're looking at, you know, a company that's trying to run a sustainable, uh, you know, lumber industry, or even you have people grazing cattle or sheep on the mountain, whatever that is, they're going to go in there and they're going to remove those deadfalls. And they're going to to actually manage those forests. And, I'm you know, it's not going to be a 100, you know, 100 percent a fail-proof method of preventing forest fires, but it's certainly going to reduce their their frequency and their severity. Yeah, and I've I've heard you may be able to 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 justify this or or um, say if it's a if it's a myth or not. But um, I've heard that through the history of of how they handle forestry is that um. I think it was probably around in the nineties. They, they said, you know, we want to leave the, the forest more natural. And so they don't go through these cleanup efforts. And so what those cleanup efforts did was they actually mitigated a lot of the forest fires and, and kept them down, which is why we've seen in the past couple of decades, why they've been ramped up is because the, the, the cleanup efforts prevented from a lot of what would be, you know, kindling and everything else from, from causing the, the vast and fast expansion of these forest fires um, where we're seeing them move miles and miles a day. Um, we wouldn't see that same thing if we had those same things like what you were talking about with the loggers and, and lumber companies. They need to keep those things, so they're going to keep those efforts um, to, to keep the, the cleaning process up. Um, is is that is, am I on 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 note with that, or 
with the with the cleanup efforts or yeah yeah you're pretty well hitting the nail on the head right there like i said it it's you know those cleanup efforts were mainly you know clearing out dead underbrush and then dead fallen logs off the trees on the mountainside and things like that and then when you quit doing that then that's when you're gonna have some massive issues now i will throw a a bone to california in one way that they uh, have tried to mitigate some of their brush fire issues is they've actually been doing what's known as a uh, fire abrasion and I, i've got a buddy that used to work out there in this and basically what they do is they'll where a lot of their fires start not all of them, but a lot of them start alongside their highways mm-hmm. or in the median of the highways and so what they do is they hire these uh, local ranchers and farmers that have a bunch of sheep or goats and they'll get big uh moving basically uh just big goat pens and put them out on the side of the highway or put them in the meeting of the highway. And they just let these sheep or goats just go down there and just completely annihilate all the grass and the brush on the side of the highway. So, you know, is it the greatest method of all time? No, but is it better than just, you know, ignoring it? Yeah. In which, you know, a, a better way of doing this would be, you know, in, in the actual forests out there where they're having these fires, let these ranchers and farmers, you know, lease those lands to run livestock in. Those livestock will keep that underbrush beat down. Yeah, no, it sounds like it, it sounds like a win-win, right? Because you, as you said, right, it's it's mitigating the fire. It's not stopping the fire necessarily, but it's right. helping it. But then also the farmers are like, "Hey, I, my my sheep are fed, <laughs> my lamb are fed." Uh, <laughs> I mean, so you know, even running cows out there at work. I mean, cows you don't have to pay attention to them as nearly as much as you do sheep or goats they're not going to knock the brush down as much as, as sheep or goats would, but they're certainly going to help a lot more than just completely ignoring the forest and letting it burn down every four or five years. And then you have no, no trees on the side of the mountain. And then what happens And you have massive mudslides? It's, it sounds like, it sounds like through that effort, they're just tapping into the privatized markets and saying, Hey, look, you know, we've, it sounds like they're on the path of understanding how to actually accomplish solutions rather than dictating and everything else. It would be, it would be nice if they would, if we could see this in more efforts, but, um, but you know, I'll, I'll take an inch when I can. Um, yeah. I mean, like optimally we would like to see all of these Bureau of Land Management lands and these state lands sold off to private ranchers and stuff like that. And then they can run, run the property and manage it as best that, that they know how to, which is going to be certainly a lot better than what some egghead, in an office that just went to college and actually doesn't have experience out there in that country. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when we're talking but, about federal, um, is it so yes, it's a federal agency, but for the people who work for BLM, um, not that BLM, but the, the BLM we're talking about Bureau of land management, um, the people who, those are typically going to be people from New Mexico, from the area, correct? Or, or are the, is it also sometimes it's just transplants people from DC or from other parts of the nation, just coming in being able to prescribe what they want. A lot of your, your local boots on the ground people that work for the Bureau of Land Management that, you know, are there, they're going out there on BLM lands and they're, they're assessing how much grass is in a pasture. It's being leased from a rancher and they're, you know, running all, all the different tests that they need to, to run to see if this pasture can handle more cattle, needs less cattle on it, whatever. A lot of people doing those kinds of jobs for the Bureau of Land Management, they're generally people local to whatever area that is, okay. or at least from not too far away. But what you run into is a lot of the people who are actually, you know, the higher ups in the regional offices or the state offices that are calling the shots 
a lot of those people aren't generally from that localized area. Now, there's, there are some that are, but a lot of them, you know, go to, to college on, on one of the coasts somewhere and they get a degree in some sort of management that is based on, on a lot of good theory and books. But when you put it into practice, it doesn't really work that well. Yeah. And, and it, those people who are getting sent out and they're actually approving the money and trying to make new policy changes and stuff like that. So it's also interesting because when you, when you think about the process through schooling for somebody to be governing over the land and that, in those efforts, right. You're going to a school where uh, pro these professors kind of get to make up their own agenda in some regards. And so they get to teach you kind of what they find to be the most important. And it doesn't always have to happen to pertain to the area that, you know, that they're going to be moving into, and prescribing these answers um and 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 so there's so much opportunity there that when we talk about this right the idea of who should be governing over those lands um you know as you as you said a couple times and and i think as every libertarian sees it it should be those people who have more skin of the game now a farmer right. down in that way right who's worried about landslides who's worried about fires who's worried about you know um being cut off who's worried about whatever kind of a natural disaster they're going to take this a little more seriously than somebody who's like yeah i just i got my education over there in in south carolina let's just say south carolina because that's a great state um <laughs> and then coming over to new mexico and trying to control that or california and being like here's what we did in in Here's what we did, New York. So this is going to clearly work for New, uh, California. It's just like there's a lot of, of, of difference. There's a lot of, of opportunities there for some drastic changes. And and so, um, you know, I I can definitely empathize with, with the idea of, of kind of what, we, what we're talking about, that it, it's more important to keep it at the local levels, to keep it um, as local as possible down to the individual even. Um, right. What what other big conservation efforts um, are on your radar right now? So, like I said, the the creation of the conservation boards is kind of my first thing, and then use that to springboard up and you know try to put in a little bit better management practices throughout New Mexico in general off these boards. And then you know here here at the local level, we do have some projects that. You know, we, we do get money just chunked at us by the Depart the U.S. Department of Agriculture and even the state of New Mexico for certain things. And they just throw us the money and they just tell us to do something. It's like, well, if you, just, if you take the money and just go throw it in a bank account, you know, that's not going to accomplish anything. I wish that we could just sit there and write a check back to the taxpayers. And, you know, if you spent $2 on your property taxes to someone order conservation board, here's two bucks back. I don't think I'm going to be able to talk to the rest of the conservation board into doing that, which I could. But, you know, if, if we can do some worthwhile things like some grassland work, uh, grassland reseeding around here. Um, one thing that we do have a lot of problem with is we have an invasive species called the salt cedar tree, mm -hmm. which it's not like a regular cedar tree that most people think of. But um, those have invaded our, our river systems and grow along, grow along our banks and they really pull a lot of water out of the rivers and which just being a desert, you know, that, that, that is a lot more serious of an issue than if we live somewhere up, you know, in the, in the Midwest, I guess you could say. So what, you know, if we can take the money that the governments are actually setting aside for these programs, they're already, they've already taken the money. We have, to, we just have to kind of do something with it. And we actually make sure that this job gets done 
and we we do take these funds that are allocated and actually take care of the land with it, then I'd see that as a worthwhile effort, even though, like I said, I'd rather be able to just write a check back to the taxpayers. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that highlights such an important thing of this, right, is is that whenever you have these central planners, right, the federal government or, or whoever is sending you money, there's strings all over this, and they're, it's always going to be attached. And so they tell you, they dictate to you how you have to spend it, where you can spend it to. And, and if you guys, you guys see a serious problem, you guys are like, this would improve the quality of life. This would improve um, the, 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 the green table out there. This would improve our, our environment in so many different aspects. And you guys have to either A, request an increase and, and ask for that specifically and fight through the whole uh, bureaucratic process there. Or you guys could risk losing that money if you guys don't spend it in the right way. Or, you know, it, so many different areas in which i i i as somebody who would rather get that tax check back that you're talking about i'd be like it's it's stupid that you guys are are stuck in a way because of that money and and certainly there's good things that come from some of that money that you guys are spending already that you guys have those strings attached and they're actually going to fruitful efforts but there's some of that money that in in Maybe you guys are like a lot of the other government uh, subsidized uh, organizations where if you don't use that money, you also lose it. So you won't receive that funding next year. And so do you guys have any of those those uh, government spending sprees at the end of, of the fiscal year um, because of that as well? At the end of last year, we didn't have any major spending sprees and we haven't run across any yet so far in which, I mean, if it's going to be some massive spree that it's just clearly – nothing but a hell-bent drive to ensure more funding for the next year from my spot i'm certainly going to oppose that because i mean i'd I, you know i'd rather the government not be coming out here and just throwing taxpayer money willy-nilly around but when, when they show up and they just dump money into our lap say all right central valley here's a bunch of money for this project you know we already took the money from other people you can't give it back to them go do something you know i i guess you know it like you said it does put you in between a rock and a hard spot but if you actually take that money and try to actually do some good with it rather than just set up some sort of nepotism or cronyism, because that, that was happening previously with some board members, is they would basically go give grants for land improvement to their buddies with a bunch of uh, various different funds. And they weren't actually really doing what was supposed to be done with that money. And that's what it actually upset a lot of voters. So, Yeah, naturally so. Um, no, that's a, that's incredible. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I just can't get over the fact of where we're at in society where it's like this common sense. This isn't something that we hear from, from a lot of politicians. And I've got to touch on you being an elected member for a second. We don't get this common sense from a lot of people where it's like, yeah, I'm going to give you guys the real on this. This is, you know, if money comes in like this, I'm going to be standing up and I'm going to be opposing it. And you're one of the first couple of people that I've spoken with on this that I'm like, yeah, I, I trust Andy. He's going to actually stand up and do this. Maybe it's because you got an L next to your name. Maybe it's because I, I know you on a personal level. But I <laughs> I, I, I know that like that's in your, your philosophy. I know that's in your values. And, and I don't have to question that. And so it, it hurts for me as, as a constituent of so many different governments that I've never – um 
consented to being under, but I know that they would have no issue with that because they're like, well, we don't need it this year, but we may need it next year, but we may need it the year after that. And so I've got to go in. And recently I saw a story just north of me in North Carolina where police department spent $20,000 on a table on a singular table. And it was more for optics than it was for actual uh, usability and everything else. And it's just like, when I see things like that, it's just like, that hurts me in my soul. And of course, as we talk about fiscal policy um, as a nation, you know, being 30 trillion in debt and everything else, we got to find ways of saying enough is enough. And, and whether you're down to a county level, a city level or whatever else, standing up on those values is, is incredibly important. And so I, I want to thank you for, for that, um, that I actually trust you. And, and, you know, as Scott Henry is saying in the comment section that you have integrity and that you're honest about this. And so I appreciate it. Um, but so, so at the federal level and at the state level, and everything else we've got the issues of conservation of forestry we've got the 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 oil is a one that's being discussed constantly and i think that it's kind of very topical on today's market considering uh everyone out there is upset um first of all what is the average gas price where you're at and then um want to hear your thoughts on on uh, conservation efforts when it comes to oil See, gas prices, uh, diesel's approaching about $5 a gallon out here. So I'd say gas is likely running around four sixty to four eighty a gallon, I would think. Oh. Uh, <laughs> which I, I, I generally don't pay attention to gas prices very much because I haven't bought a gallon of gas with my own money in probably five or six years. I, I've run diesel pickup since then. Um, but but that's definitely starting to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> especially Especially – Especially like where we're at, there's all the, uh, most of the stations have the off-road diesel as well as the highway diesel. And you look over there at the off-road diesel and, you know, it's 80 cents, 90 cents cheaper a gallon. And you're just sitting there. The only difference between them is one is meant for highway use. So it's has road taxes on it and the other one doesn't. Oh, that's got to hurt your soul. Is there, is there any efforts, um, another topical question is there any efforts in new mexico in order to remove your state gas tax um even temporarily in these efforts i know that there's a a long list of states that have been doing this i know south carolina um we had two or three bills being pushed out like this um any efforts there in your state um on that front if there's if there's anything like that in the works it'd probably have to come from the governor's office right now because the way that the new mexico legislature works mm -hmm. is one year it's only in session for one month and then the next year it's in session for two months and that two month session is where they actually do the actual policy the the one month or the other one month is basically just to pass all spending bills and so they're not in session right now um they, unless they call an emergency session they won't be back in session until january so unless they call an emergency session or the governor tries to push something through like that that's not going to happen and i can guarantee you that our, our current governor won't be won't be doing that <laughs> wow uh, she, she she has a little bit of a spending addiction and then some oh i gotta love them got as we were just talking about spending um <laughs> uh from the yeah, but before she took before she took office we actually had a uh, surplus for the new mexico state budget and after she took office i think it was within the first six or eight months everything that had been stockpiled up was already gone and they were already doing deficit spending again oh 
Oh. Yeah, yeah, and it's and a bunch of it was just ridiculous stuff. Like they spent millions of dollars on painting murals on the side of the overpasses up in Albuquerque. How does that help anybody? But it looks nice. We could spend. I mean, so it, <laughs> like as much as I don't like government spending, at least if you came up to me and said, "Oh, well, you know, we need to buy new fire trucks because the ones that we have are breaking down and people are getting put at serious risk um, because these fire trucks aren't working." Obviously, my, my my primary thing I'd want to say to you is, all right, why don't we start issuing licenses for private fire departments to start up? That that could alleviate some of the problem. But at least if you're coming with me with an idea like this, you can actually demonstrate how it helps somebody. Spending millions of dollars on painting murals on the side of an overpass, that doesn't help anybody but whoever the artist is that gets to do it. Yeah, especially if those overpasses start crumbling. It's like, yeah, but they look nice. It's like, yeah, it's a safety concern, but they look nice. Yeah, it, it, it. just paint over it to cover up the cracks on the concrete. Nobody will notice. Yeah, just an extra layer of paint will hold it all together. It's fine. Right. <laughs> not a safety hazard at all, even though it's the government who always says that they, that we need them around for, for ensuring safety standards. Mm. Mm. No, it, mm. this whole conversation just just makes me so bothered because it, it, that's that's always what we hear, right? We need the government in order to, to make it safe, to make it to make it work, to make it function. And we've highlighted through the fire, uh, through the forestry, we've highlighted uh, through, through many of these efforts that is like, the only way that you guys could be successful is by leaning on the private markets, by leaning on the people who are there on the ground, who live in that realm. And, and so we got to see, we got to see more of that leaning and less of that claiming of, of, whether it's the resources of money, of finances, of spending, and buying murals because murals look great on the side of a crumbling highway, um, whatever it is, like we got to we got to see that 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 shrinkening, probably not the right word, <laughs> the shrinkening of of the governments and 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 how they're handling it, and that only can be done by using somebody else's quote by empowering us by because you are the power because we are the power um, that we can be good arbiters of of those resources and we can put them to we can allocate them any much better than they ever would um i want to know from the comment section you guys let me know eskimos already put down that alaska just removed her gas tax um or their tax gas tax let me know in the comment section if you guys what's the status of your state and your gas tax if you guys are temporarily suspending that as well um but andy so what else uh, how? Hmm, what other big conservation efforts? What are, what are we missing? We've we've touched a little bit on the deers, on the fire, or the forestry, touched mildly on the oil. What what are the big conservation efforts? Um, should we, as the American average person, um, be concerned about? Um, in anything we're missing? Well, if you want to touch on the oil stuff, um, one thing I've seen a lot of people talking about lately is is there's a whole debate on that Keystone pipeline, well, it really wasn't even the entire pipeline, it's just the offshoot yeah. that got canceled. And, you know, that, that that's a whole different debate in of itself. But that alone really wouldn't have done much to drop the, uh, the fuel prices in this situation. However, one thing that, that people could keep in mind and uh, possibly contact your, your congressman or your senators about is the federal... Lands administrations recently have been very, very stingy about issuing new drilling permits. 
and this has been an ongoing issue before Biden was in office and even before Trump was in office, it, it's been an ongoing issue. And then you also have states that own state lands that, that are very stingy about uh, issuing new drilling permits. And that's why states like Texas that have, because Texas is 97% owned by private landowners, that's why they've pretty well kept up drilling. But a lot of these Western states that have a lot of Bureau of Land Management lands or a lot of state lands, that's why drilling has dropped off both here and like in Wyoming and Montana and even parts of the Dakotas. So. You know, that is one thing that people can't even do is, you know, just contact contact your congressman and, and bring this issue up. I mean, pretty much all of them have their email address on their on their websites. I mean, it's going to be one of their aides reading it. But, you know, the more people that bring something up like that of, of the federal land offices need to actually start allowing for proper resource usage and, and not just sitting there and sitting on it and not doing anything. So. We've been stifling the supply of of raw oil which means that we're getting less oil processed which means that we aren't able to match the demands and so as the demand shot up recently over the past as as covid restrictions close up as more people are using oil for different efforts we have a higher demand and that's been driving up the cost and so it would be a great time to relieve if not remove those some of those restrictions and allow for for uh for drilling to be allowed is is that is that the the gist of like a, a well-rounded point to that or yeah that that's pretty close in which i mean even if those changes were you know made next week where they started issuing more mm-hmm. drilling permits obviously mm-hmm. that's going to take a while to actually hit the market because you know more more wells are going to have to be drilled more processing facility you're going to have to be set up and everything like that which one thing that, that a lot of people don't really know is a lot of oil produced in the U.S. isn't actually made into the fuel that goes in into our cars or our semi-trucks most of it's it because of how light and thin it is a lot of it gets made into products like jet fuel and so what ends up happening is on the global market that gets traded around and you know say a barrel of jet fuel crude will get traded around for a barrel and a half or two barrels, whatever. It's currently trading out of a little bit heavier weight oil that actually does get made in leaded gasoline. So, you know, like, like I said, you know, it would take a while for it to actually hit the markets and, and really drop that price, but it is something that, that could be done. Yeah. It'd certainly be, be a lot more effective and, and be a hell of a lot faster than, you know, uh, messing around with anything on the Keystone pipeline uh, expansion or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I and and I guess it's one of those things that we as liberty lovers, we think of the long term, right? Yeah, it's not going to fix it's not going to solve our problem today. The pain's still going to be here. We're still going to struggle through this. And I know I know it hurts you every time that you're going to fill up at $5, $5 a gallon. I I'm struggling over here. We're at 4 we're at like 3.97 for a gallon of of unleaded 87 and I cry. I've got a little, I've got a little grocery getter and I like pull up and I'm like, I just did 40 bucks. Like I don't, I got to take a mortgage out like or something. I, it, it, it hurts. Um, but we, but we understand like this, this pain, if we come in and just continue to have this, the government's run roughshod over a lot of this stuff and just say, no, we don't like this. So you don't get to do this. Um, that this pain we're going to see this continue on because, you know, as, as these states are looking at suspending uh, temporarily their gas tax, 
we're going to see those get reinstated, right? States are not going to forever give up those revenue schemes. And so we have to situate ourselves. If, if, if we're going to put a temporary solution, there has to be something in there for a mid-range and for a long-range solution in order to help alleviate these pains. And so, you know, that's a, it's a great conversation starter. It's a great way to start talking to, to people in your communities and your legislators and everything else to help push um, this effort forward. Um, I, I, I want to, we're coming up on, on three o'clock now. And so I want to give you Andy, you've been amazing. I, I love you. I appreciate you. I think everyone who's watching this is going to absolutely love everything about you and, and become more engaged on the conservative, um, conservation, not conservative conservation <laughs> efforts. Um, but you are running for state house. You're changing gears. You're, you're doing you're moving to do bigger and better things um, than you've already accomplished at, at a prime young age. Go ahead. Uh, let's, I want to hear your last words, uh, plug yourself. Where can we find you? Where can we, where can we support you? Um, and, uh, and of course, after, after the show, I, I would love to have you back on and we can, we can of course hit more and more um, as time goes on. But, oh yeah. I'd certainly be happy to be back on, but as of right now, the easiest place, to find me, I have a public campaign page. It's just under Andrew Kennedy. Um, it, it'll have my new state house banner up at the top of the page and everything like that. And we're working on transitioning gears and getting a new website for the state house campaign set up and all that kind of stuff. And once we have that up, that'll be on there. And then uh, we're, we're planning on setting up a YouTube account and everything and start putting out some videos of, of you know, just short clips of me talking about issues that I think need to be addressed in the New Mexico state legislature, which, you know, that, that's going to range from a bunch of topics to where currently we have constitutional carry for open carry, but we don't have it for concealed carry. And so expanding it to concealed carry something that I'd like to do. Um, and, and then, you know, talk about my ideas for the fish and game department, and then, you know, pushing to at least cut back on our state income taxes and everything like that. Um, you know, obviously I'd love to, love to put in a bill that says repeal every single state tax that there is. Um, but, you know, I, I know if I put one in there like that all, all at one time, it's going to get shot, shot all to pieces. Inevitably. But, you know, <laughs> if I walk stuff back here and there, you know, that, that'd be a win in my book. Absolutely. Well, perfect, man. I appreciate it so much for you coming on. Being the first guest of the new time, the new time slot, I threw this out there and you were like, Get me in the get me on the books, and so I want to thank you. And I've loved this. I've learned so much from you already. Um, I'm excited to continue seeing you grow and and to see you truly um, change the way people look at at governments and the way that they function. And uh, so I want to thank you again. And and you're always more than welcome to come on. And I'll I'll be uh, getting in touch with you, and and we'll get something else lined up because I absolutely love today. Uh, thank you so much. All right, sounds good. Appreciate it. All right, and for the rest of everyone else in the comment section, um, you guys, we've wrapped up one week, so next week, come on back here uh, next Tuesday night. Um, we will have Matt and Spike coming back uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. Eastern for Muddy Waters of Freedom. Wednesday night, My Fellow Americans. Thursday night, Writer's Block, all those 8 p.m. And then from now on, Tuesday, or f sorry, Fridays, 3 p.m., 2 p.m. Eastern. I got to get these times down. But with that, I hope you guys all have a great day. I love you all. Appreciate you all. Keep fighting the good fight. And we'll see you guys next Friday.